Perinatal Stories Australia. Welcome to Perinatal Stories Australia. My name is Rebecca, and every episode we provide a listening ear to the lived experiences of mental illness during pregnancy and postpartum. I hope this podcast reduces stigma, informs listeners about support services available, and inspires those on their own healing journey. More importantly, I hope you can hear these stories and know you're not alone. Thank you for being here to hold space for the stories we often keep to ourselves. Welcome back to Perinatal Stories Australia. I'm so honoured to be joined by Jade. Jade is on Instagram as Heart of Harper. I'm, yeah, I'm so touched she's here to speak her truth and as she said so beautifully before we started, she hopes someone can hear it and not feel alone. And if anything embodies this podcast, it's it's that statement. <laughs> So thank you, Jade, for being here. Oh, you are so welcome. And thank you for creating this incredible space for women to be able to share uncomfortable stories, I suppose. Mm. You know, not everyone wants to hear them all the time, but I think it's really important that we talk about them. And yeah, as I said to you, I think one thing that has really come about on my journey is my sharing of it at first was very therapeutic for me, but then it sort of evolved into actually being helpful for others, which really gives purpose to my pain. So I, I'm never one to hold back and that suits some people and some people don't like that and that's okay. But I, I share the, the ugly parts, the, you know, the parts that aren't all sunshine and rainbows. Um, but I know that helps a lot of people to feel less alone. So I think this is a really important conversation. To start, do you want to introduce yourself and your little family? Yes, I would love to. Um, so my name's Jade. I am 30. Oh my God, how old am I? I always get stuck on this. I'm 38. (laughs) My partner always reminds me I'm almost 40, so I never forget. Um, So I live down south in New South Wales and I have a beautiful little family. So my partner is Craig. We have two beautiful daughters, our first being Harper, who is no longer Earthside, but always with us every step of the way on this journey. And then we have River, who is her baby sister, who was born in November last year. So she's almost four months already. Um, and then we have Reef, who makes a, a regular appearance on Instagram as well and is very loved. He was our little emotional support addition to the family after Harper left us and very much helped carry us through that grief. So he very much feels like one of our children. Admittedly, I do enjoy the Reef update. <laughs> yeah, there hasn't been there hasn't been as many lately, but people write to me and say, more Reef, where's Reef? Poor thing. He's, been li- <laughs> he's been a little bit forgotten, so I'll, I'll do my best to bring him back into the equation. <laughs> Well, thank you for introducing us to your family. In terms of where you want to start, do you want to start with your journey with Harper or do you want to talk about potentially prior experiences with anxiety, whatever you're comfortable with? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, I have always been a really anxious person prior to starting a family, prior to my experiences with baby loss. So I was probably a prime candidate for being hit with postnatal anxiety as well. Um, so yeah, always 
a very anxious person in terms of overthinking. I'm very organized and structured. I think to a degree that helps you in life in certain ways. You know, I'm really the sort of CEO, CFO of the household, the organization, the structure, the planning, the admin. But then on the flip side, it obviously really has its downsides as well in terms of how much mental space it takes from you in, in just being anxious and worrying so much. Um, so always had that never officially diagnosed, like it's never been debilitating as such and I've never had to be on medication or really had ongoing therapy for it but I'm just aware that I'm quite an anxious person and then our journey has certainly magnified that yeah to sort of have gone through what we have already being an anxious person has been very very testing so the lead up to Harper you know even when you're trying to conceive every month you're super anxious waiting for that two-week wait and that pregnancy test and my first pregnancy was an ectopic so then that obviously magnified the anxiety I felt in trying to conceive after that and then going into Harper's pregnancy Yes, I was very anxious because I'd experienced loss already and and didn't know what to expect. And I really did sort of start to relax, though, after the 13-week NIPT test, which I know many, many people say, you know, when you don't have the full picture of what else could potentially go wrong or happen, you very much feel that's a a safe zone. And and that's sort of what we discuss as a society. You hit the 12, 13 weeks if you haven't miscarried, if your NIPT test is clear, you're all good to go. And that's absolutely not the case, sadly, for so many Uh, So then, yeah, we got to our 20-week scan with Harper and that's where we discovered there was a very significant brain abnormality on her scan and what, what continued from there was eight weeks of waiting tests, not knowing what the outcome would be, not knowing what her fate would be. Uh, So you can only imagine the anxiety that you carry every single day carrying a baby that you don't know will make it, will be okay, um, what the outcome will be. You're Googling every day, which is not an anxious person's friend. Um, Yeah, so I would say that the the anxiety I felt over that time was probably one of the worst I've ever had in my life. And then it's certainly not dropped (laughs) since then. We went from Harper, then into River's pregnancy, and the anxiety there was just constant until she arrived. It was it was nine months of living in anxiety, which any mother experiencing pregnancy after loss in particular will attest to it. It's pretty hard navigating a pregnancy after loss, let alone multiple losses. And I think it's safe to say uncertainty really underpins most anxiety disorders, that uncomfortable yeah. relationship with uncertainty. And you had that yeah. magnified, you know, tenfold. Yeah, I think, um, and, and not to take away from the experience of anyone that hasn't yeah. had loss, I know people that have had enormous anxiety in pregnancies because they know, yeah, of what can happen or they know of someone and, and internalise the experiences they've seen. So you don't have to have had experienced it to feel that anxiety. I can only obviously speak from my own experience, but I think the anxiety is so big when you've experienced the pain because your mind wants to protect you from ever having to experience something so horrific again. So it's in fight or flight. It's, oh my God, we we don't ever want to feel that level of pain again. And yeah, it is that discomfort with uncertainty. I'm a very controlling person, not of others, but I like control. I like to know (laughs) outcomes. 
And I've very much tried to navigate that, but I think some experiences are just too big for you to be able to ever fully surrender and be at peace with not knowing. Yeah, River's pregnancy certainly wasn't one where I could just let go and surrender to what was going to be. I think your your system is so shot by mm. the bad luck, for lack of a better phrase, that we've experienced that everything, even when you got that, that momentary reassurance in a scan, everything felt too good to be true because any time in the past we had kind of rested in um, a state of, oh, this is good, the rug was pulled from beneath us. So it's very scary to allow yourself to sit in a place of comfort and be okay with what's happening because you are constantly trying to protect yourself. And River's pregnancy, even though it feels like lifetimes ago already, it was horrendous in that from the moment we conceived her, we didn't know if we would get to keep her. And I had to wait 16 weeks to have a scan that would ultimately tell me whether she had inherited the same genetic disorder as Harper. And 16 weeks is a really long time (laughs) to wait to find out if you will lose another baby, have to birth another baby and say goodbye, or potentially get to bring them earthside. And I can't I can't even tell you what it feels like to wake up that day that you go to the hospital to have that scan, like how you actually navigate that anxiety. I don't even remember a lot of that morning because I think the brain just disconnects. It's just too big to carry. And the best I could do to cope with a lot of that uncertainty was try and get control where I could. So what I mean by that is going into the the room where they were to scan us and saying to the sonographer, go straight to the brain, do not mess about, I need you to go straight to the brain. And she was like, yep, that's the plan, you know, so just whatever you can do to try and gain some control, like I would only do morning scans, there was no way I was willing to wake up and have to wait half a day to get to the hospital. I needed to get out of bed, get straight to the hospital, get it done. And they were so accommodating, thankfully. But, yeah, it's just finding those small glimpses of control in a situation where you have absolutely none (laughs) that's potentially a little bit helpful. Did you want to continue talking about your journey with River? Because, you know, yes, River is here, Earthside with us, Mm. but that doesn't mean the anxiety stops. No, um, with River, as you said, you know, you get the baby in your arms and you sort of think, oh, I know she's here now and she's alive and safe, but it still doesn't end because then it becomes what if there's something they didn't find with her in utero? What if she develops something in these early weeks that's catastrophic? Or what if she's not going to be okay and we just didn't know? You know, I was very triggered even in those first few days in the hospital where they come and do the hearing test, um, just constantly waiting for someone to tell me, oh, something's wrong. And there was this tiny little thing that happened with uh, her skull, you know, how it fuses together. like fontanel. Yeah, yeah, there was something where they thought maybe it was too big or too small or something. And so then we had to wait for a paediatrician to come around and that just set me off. Like I was sitting in bed trembling and he came and he was like, it's fine. (laughs) I was like, oh, my God. Yeah, I need to chill out because I can't go every day of her life now living in this what's going to happen, what if, what if. Um, So it's a real mental battle every day to kind of try and pull yourself out of that worry and 
done a lot of therapy around this and you know something so simple my therapist said to me was when you're in that mindset of what if this terrible thing happens she said just flip it and say well what if it doesn't what if it doesn't happen you know give your brain that other option easier said than done a lot of the time but then then the anxiety manifested because we had some I wouldn't say feeding issues, but weight gain stuff in those first two weeks, which I didn't realize was so common. And I think it's really important that people such as lactation experts or the community nurses that come and visit, that they're really careful with the language they use, because I kind of was made to feel like it was a really big deal and potentially catastrophic. So my brain just spiraled or she's not gaining weight, something's wrong. And then went and spent hundreds on consultants to come and tell me her latch is fine I'm looking at her numbers I'm not worried because all babies lose weight a bit initially or most do and my milk came in quite late so she's probably just playing catch up but then you go on a feeding plan where it's like every two hours during the night you're waking them up you're feeding then you're expressing and topping up with breast milk and then you're topping up with a formula bottle and then she started making these huge gains of like 300 grams a week when they want between 150 and 200 and I'm like, well, what, what, what was the anxiety need around that? You know, they could have just said to me, oh, this is quite normal. You know, we just want to top her up a bit. But I'd spent two weeks just terrified that she wasn't healthy or I wasn't doing enough. So the anxiety sort of continued through that process. And then at week three is when her colic kicked in. And we can talk much more about that. Um, her colic has given me the worst anxiety that I've ever experienced in my life. And that's not River's fault. It's the colic. It's not her. Uh, it's the experience of the colic. Uh, and that's what has now manifested into my postnatal anxiety is the experience with the colic. So, yeah, it's been one thing after another yeah. with the anxiety. And, yeah, colic is just I'm still trying to find the words to, to give it justice because we've only just come out of it. Yeah, and I can only imagine how deflating it feels. As you said, one thing after another, after another, mm. after another. Mm. And as you said before as well, you like bits of control. So you're yeah. there trying to do the right thing. You're trying to manage your anxiety and look after your baby. You're going to consultants. Mm. You're getting all this advice, all this reassurance, but... That doesn't necessarily help when another thing just happens and another. No, that's absolutely right. And I think looking back, I was such a prime candidate for postnatal anxiety. If I really look at the last three years in particular, it's going from an ectopic into Harper's loss, into an early miscarriage, into River's pregnancy, into a baby with colic, like my mm -hmm. nervous system is completely yeah. shot and I know that's the experience for many others it's years of grueling experiences one after another without really a break because when you are on the journey to conceiving a baby you don't want to stop you you need to get to that end or that happy ending but you don't really give your body or your mind a break um, from it all it's just it's continuous and then there's going to come a point where you come crashing down and that is certainly what happened to me in the last few weeks yeah maybe I'll go back a bit before we talk about this crash give you a space yeah. to breathe sure were there any support services offered through any of this experience like from ectopic from 
loss from miscarriage you know was there Mm. anything did anyone pick up on hey you're anxious or hey we should screen you just in case you know what was Mm. that experience like yeah it's a really good question um after my topic no And I think in hindsight, that is a little bit disappointing because I certainly didn't sort of receive the resources or support that I received with Harper. And they are two very different experiences, but I'm very conscious that early loss is still incredibly traumatic. And I didn't really leave the hospital at that point with any information on support services, which is really good feedback for them, I guess, in comparison to Harper, where I left with, you know, my Bears of Hope bag that they give out in the hospitals when you've um, lost a baby. I think... I've always sort of been someone to plan and prepare in advance and Harper's experience was no different in that because we had the eight weeks leading up to her birth and it was different in that it was a TFMR, it wasn't a spontaneous stillbirth, I actually had time to plan to try my best to prepare to survive Um, and I hadn't seen a therapist before but I knew some things were bigger than me. So I've always thought I'm quite a resilient person. You know, I've survived a divorce where my um, partner had an affair for two years after 12 years together. You know, I pulled myself out of that. I pulled myself out of the ectopic, but I just went, no, this is bigger than me. Like I need professional support. So I engaged a therapist who actually had a last minute appointment pop up the day before Harper was born, which was kind of meant to be Mm. and very much needed. And she really helped me through that whole traumatic experience. And I didn't develop PTSD, which was the biggest concern. Um, I think because I was having such regular and, and ongoing therapy to support through that. But again, that was me driving that. So no one was really picking up the phone saying, organize a therapist, you're going to need this, et cetera. My GP at the time, no, I wouldn't say she was really advocating or checking in from a mental health perspective. Um my midwife from the hospital was very good in that sense. She, we're still sort of friends. She um, saw me through River's birth as well. So she certainly was checking in, but potentially still not in the advice space from a mental health perspective. I don't think that's her forte either. So no, I, I kind of look back and think if I hadn't been a person that's quite proactive in organising my own support, would I have gotten any or found it or would anyone have pushed enough? Um, And I certainly think that's an opportunity in the system for opening the space for support. That's something that I hear a lot is if I wasn't proactive, Mm. where would I be right now? And that the hair has risen on my arms because every time Mm. I hear that. It's very scary. It is very scary. And as you said, it is disappointing. Yeah. It's a really emotional topic because I think when you experience it, you think about all of the poor women out there that aren't getting the help that they need and the potentially catastrophic results from that. So you and I are both involved with the Gidget Foundation, which was founded because Gidget sadly took her own life, resulting from postnatal depression and anxiety. And you know her story is probably not unique which is just heartbreaking and Mm. I've recently changed therapy providers to them because my therapist that saw me through Harper I'm not sure she's equipped enough to carry me through this it's not her forte and there has been a little bit of disappointment in that you know I've been asked to fill out the 
the questionnaire that assesses your postnatal depression anxiety which I have issues with on its own um but but she sent it to me and in the thick of trying to look after River I never completed it but there was no follow-up so you know if I'm sort of paying someone to support my mental health and they're sending me this survey saying you are really at increased risk of postnatal depression anxiety because of your previous loss we know that we really need to keep an eye on you and then I don't fill in the survey but there's no follow-up for months Mm. um that's a huge flaw and a huge gap because anything could have happened in that time. I think that there are incredible services available, but what I hear from people is that they're under-resourced and underfunded, so they're doing their best. But the fact there are wait times for people to receive support that they need yesterday Mm. is really, really concerning. Definitely. And I'm always conscious that there may be a difference between non-perinatal trained um, mental health professionals and perinatal trained mental health professionals. Yeah. And that's why I'm really excited, which sounds strange, to start therapy with the Gidget Foundation. And it's really interesting because Lisa, who who works there, who first reached out to me when Harper was born. Beautiful Lisa. Beautiful Lisa. They're all all incredible women. I mean, wow. Uh, Everyone I've spoken to, the empathy and the love that radiates through there. Um, We were partnering very much from a loss space in that Mm. Gidget wanted to do a little bit more around loss support. Um, But who knew at the time that there was a bigger sort of journey for us in that I would eventually need their support and services for postnatal depression and anxiety. So, yeah, that starts next week, actually, which I'm really looking forward to because I think they'll be able to hold the the space that I need from a really specialist perspective because this is what they do. So, yeah. Absolutely. In terms of Harper, you know, you Mm. said... were seeing a therapist during that time that's how you coped with losing Harper or were there other things that contributed so many other things so therapy was one the other is connection mm. so connection is so important in this community and I think that's why social media has really helped carry a lot of people through their loss because you sort of have this life and these people in your life prior to loss who do their very best and mean well but can't always help carry you in the way that other lost people can because you don't need to explain your pain (laughs) to those people they just get it Um, it's really exhausting I think trying to convey the magnitude of loss to others you end up carrying a lot of those people on your shoulders because they say or do the wrong thing even if they mean well, whereas your lost community online or or that you end up eventually meeting in person, just get it. And it's like you can breathe sort of when you're speaking to them because you can just be honest and be yourself and share some really ugly, dark thoughts and feelings without judgment that might scare other people. Um, so I don't know what it was. I was laying in bed a couple of days after Harper was born And I said, I need to share her online to my partner. I said, I need to announce this and I need to share it online. It was like this inner knowing and this pull. And he was slightly uncomfortable about it because he's a very private person, but he's always supported me and said, do what you need to do to survive this. So I I announced her passing on Instagram and 
what has evolved from that has been this space where I can just be my honest, raw, ugly self at times. Like really writing my grief helps me release that energy that I'm storing in my body. So it started off by helping me and then it would just be more followers, more messages, more connection, more story sharing. And it started to help others. And I was like, this feels good. I feel like Harper has a bigger purpose. This is giving purpose to my pain which has been very therapeutic for me and it's just evolved into people around the world knowing about Harper and saying that she shows up for them during difficult times and it helps keep her memory alive, which is very healing for me. Um, I've created some beautiful friendships through social media and the lost community. So I would actually say that's probably been the biggest coping support for me alongside my friends that already existed who have been there through everything. So there, yeah, there was social media, there was therapy. And like I said, the purpose to the pain thing, like starting fundraisers straight away, like it it helped my active need to control, need to do something and be structured side of my brain help manage my grief as well. So doing this fundraiser in those early days of the hospital she was born in really I'd wake up in the morning and check it and then you know just gave me something to do that brought love back into the pain and those are incredible things we know how powerful storytelling is we know how powerful connection is and I agree there's that beautiful side of social media where people validate they know what you're going through or even if they haven't experienced it themselves they can say, I'm still here for you. I'm advocating for you from the sideline. There's still love there. Yeah, that's funny you say that. I I think it was yesterday I did a a voting thing on Instagram and said, you know, why are you here? Um, Mm -hmm. And I gave people the option to pick, you know, is it that you're trying to conceive or are you navigating loss or are you pregnant after loss or are you just here to learn? And it was something like 66% of people were just here to learn. And that gave me tears. It wasn't what I was expecting. I thought Mm. the majority would be loss or pregnant after loss. And I'm conscious that maybe my community has dropped a little bit in that sense because it's hard for people to see that I now have a living baby. I really get that. But to have that many people just want to learn and witness and I get messages all the time from people saying thank you because I was able to be there for my friend more or I haven't asked this question because you said that could be hurtful or I'm a midwife or a sleep consultant and I'm learning how to support others through what you've shared and so humbled by that you know it's it's something I never expected to come out of this journey and it's not an ego thing where I'm like oh I'm I'm wonderful that I'm doing this it's like this deep heartfelt gratitude that if anyone else's experience through this pain is made slightly less because someone knew better, then it's worth sharing. It's worth being vulnerable. It's worth some of the negativity or criticism that I cop, (laughs) which comes with it. Um, But for the most part, it's all love. And that's why I will never stop sharing, even if it's uncomfortable for some people. That's why they have the option to look away rather than stick around. And it's such a powerful thing. It's honouring Harper. It's honouring Harper's memory. It's honouring and validating your own experience. And it's, you know, the potential that someone else doesn't have to feel alone or that someone else, as you said, their experience isn't made worse because the people around them knew better 
that there's yeah. power there's so much power in that yeah and we know there's so much opportunity still in speaking about baby loss the taboos within baby loss such as tfmr mm-hmm. there is still so much work to be done but we are certainly coming far i have a lot of followers from older generations that write to me who might be in their 60s 70s now that had losses in a very different time before social media before it was even spoken about and the pain they still carry from lack of connection or validation or the expectation to just get on with it breaks my heart Mm. so the fact they're now in their 60s or 70s following me because they feel less alone like I could cry thinking about that so yeah a long way to go but you know, starting to open these conversations and you're right, women who have been through loss just want to share their story and I feel so grateful that people trust me with theirs and sometimes I feel very guilty that I don't have the capacity that I used to have to reply to everyone or engage in ongoing conversations. When Harper was first born and this account sort of first took off, I would honestly take all the time I could to respond to everybody because it was so important to me. And I just don't have that capacity anymore. But if anyone's listening, like, please know I hold your stories with a huge, warm, loving heart and I read all of them. And I just hope that in sharing, people do feel less alone. Well, I know they do because they tell me and that's really special. You mentioned potentially some of the negativity and criticism. Mm. I witness some of the things you share or some of the comments or messages that you receive and I my heart breaks because there there is still an assumption mm-hmm. that you've got a baby you should just be grateful you know and mm-hmm. to see that being perpetuated in your space mm. in any space really but that breaks my heart and I can only imagine oh. what that feels like when you go through something hard and you're being told you're not allowed to talk about it or mm. you know you shouldn't complain you should just be grateful like those attitudes cause so much more pain and cause women to suppress what they're going through and it just makes things worse yeah. and I I mean I get that there's pain that comes behind that but yeah mm. Yeah, and look, I I don't out people in that I don't share their handles or whatever because it's not about that. But sometimes I do share the criticism or the negative messages that I receive, again, to educate, um, Mm. you know, not for attention. Like I don't need sympathy. I think I'm quite a resilient person in that I can brush most of them off. But it's more, you know, I shared one recently that I think you're talking about where someone said, stop complaining, you're lucky you have a baby. And that for me is so very dangerous for us to be saying to each other because if I wasn't willing to be vulnerable or reasonably resilient, that could have had really detrimental impacts on me in that I could have closed off and stopped complaining. And I'll get to that word in a minute. Um, Yeah, and if I had done that all of my pain that I was feeling at the time and the anxiety and the depression would have manifested within me and potentially come out in a very significant and worse way than it did. Mm. And that's really scary to think that if people in other people's lives are saying to them when they're struggling, stop complaining, particularly when it's around postnatal depression, anxiety or having a baby, I think that's where we see these outcomes that could have been avoided um, because people felt so ashamed to talk about it. And 
like I said in that post, I recognise that message came from pain. Mm. I have been there. So I will be very honest about the fact that when I was in my grief with Harper and still trying to bring a baby earthside, I could not tolerate or fathom people complaining that had a baby earthside. I just, you know, for me, nothing was worse than losing your baby. So how could you complain about the one thing that I am going through hell to try and get. Mm. And let me tell you, being on the other side now, I get it. (laughs) Um, And I can't speak about what I'm going to say in inverted commas, normal newborn experience. Mm. Well, actually, let me rephrase that. Let's call it an anti-colic experience Mm. because colic itself is a very different ballgame. Um, so I, I can't speak for an anti-colic newborn experience. Newborns are hard, absolutely. But I just hope for anyone out there that's thinking it and not saying it, like stop complaining, be grateful. I hope that I have earned the credibility with people that if I say it's bad, like it's hard, it's really hard. <laughs> um I, when Harper was born, not once did I sort of reach out to anyone in my life and say, I am not coping, I need help. And that was after birthing a baby that was still and leaving her in the hospital. Like that is after the unimaginable. So if I've been able to sort of pull myself through with reasonable grace through those experiences, and then I say that having River with colic broke me and was hard why is that complaining let's talk about this word complaining so if you look it up it says something about being dissatisfied with something right (laughs) so sure I was dissatisfied with my experience with Riba it wasn't what I expected but I would not say that sharing a real experience that is not enjoyable always has to be complaining why am I complaining just by sharing a reality? So because I'm not dressing up hell in sunshine and rainbows, that's seen as complaining rather than just sharing a lived experience that is uncomfortable or difficult for others to hear. Um, so, yeah, I have a bit of a problem with this word complaining. I think you can complain about a sore back or you can complain your coffee from the cafe was shit. But talking about mental health challenges with a baby that screams every day for three months yeah that doesn't constitute complaining in my eyes I think that's a very real lived experience that is horrific to be in um but yeah I I understand there's a lot of pain for people still wanting to get on the other side of conceiving and bring their babies home I've been there but like I said I just hope I've earned the credibility in my own experience that to say this is one of the worst things that I've ever been through holds a lot of weight (laughs) and you said the words broke me Mm, and before you described it as a crash do we want to talk about this crash and this break yeah so um When we brought River home and things were pretty good for three weeks, you know, we were just navigating the the feeding stuff and sure, you're tired, you know, I'd expected that. I I will admit, though, it it hits you like a freight train, like you don't know what sleep deprivation feels like. It is used as a method of torture for a reason. But we park that because that's, as I'll say, like normal 
newborn experiences. It's really hard, but you adjust. But then, yeah, from this three-week period, River started to display some behaviour where it was just, it was like walking on eggshells. You know, she would just cry at the drop of a hat, holding her through naps. She would start squirming and kicking and, and waking up while in a deep sleep in what looked and sounded like agony, like pain, screaming. So not just a grizzle, we're talking like bloody murder screaming here. And I started to sort of say to myself, why do I not like this experience? Like what why am I not enjoying this? Is this baby blues? Is this postnatal depression? Like, what is this? And I remember sending some videos to River's godmother, Kira, and saying, I don't even know what I said. I think I just sent it and I was like, I'm having a really hard day. And there was a point where she sort of turned around and said, this isn't normal newborn behavior. And again, I hate that word because what is normal? But yeah. what she was sort of trying to say is a baby typically doesn't cry this much or like that. It looks like she's in pain. And I didn't know because I'd never brought a baby home. So I was like, this is really shit. Like, this is really hard. Like, is it really meant to be this hard? And I was really beating myself up about it. I was like, why am I hating this? And, and, that's the brutal honesty I was hating it and the more people I spoke to they're like no my baby doesn't really behave that way like you know your typical gets milk drunk sleeps quite easily naps for long periods will sleep anywhere whereas it was a challenge to keep her asleep I had to rock her constantly for hours in my arms sit in a dark room and so then we finally looked into it and I was told her she's got colic never heard of it before like this is never mentioned in birth classes or any preparation you sort of do like hey this happens to how many babies if it happens here's where to seek help and so I started looking into it myself and definitely sounded like what she had and the only solutions that I was getting for any reprieve were from my friends and Kira from her mother's group like try Wilby's so Wilby's is like an anti-colic mix that's supposed to help them pass gas because from what I understand a lot of colic is attributed to the digestive system being so immature and them not coping with the pain and discomfort of processing milk or passing wind so we went on Wilby's and we'd have like some reprieve there, but not really. So when I try to articulate the lived experience of colic, I don't feel like I do it justice. But when you're in it and the messages I'm getting from women who have experienced it is so validating because you're, you're getting no sleep really at all. And during the day or all night long, your baby is screaming. Now, as mothers, we're really wired maternally to not be okay with our baby crying. It's how we keep them alive. So your nervous system gets really, really shocked and uncomfortable in hearing your own baby cry. You're wired to respond to that. So when you have a baby that is screaming at the top of their lungs for hours and hours and hours on end, nothing typically works to settle them. So nothing of your normal is it a nappy change is it they're hungry like it is just unexplainable crying that nothing really soothes and you think about dealing with that every single day and night for three months of your life 
as the mother, in my experience, you don't really get a physical break from that because the baby gets worse with someone else. So even my partner could barely take her from me for three months because she would scream even more. And so I just wouldn't bother because I knew that that was probably going to make her worse, which was the last thing I wanted. So for the first three months, I pretty much sat in a dark room, starving, thirsty, needing to go to the bathroom, um, holding her, screaming. And yeah, what that does to your brain and your nervous system is something I can't actually explain. I was too scared to leave the house because if I blinked the wrong way, she might start screaming and it would go on for hours. So you're constantly walking on eggshells, trying not to set your baby off. People would come and visit and leave after 10 minutes because they couldn't hold her. She'd be screaming. And I felt so incredibly guilty that people would travel to see us and this was what they got. Um, It's very difficult to bond with your baby when they're just screaming and you love them more than anything, but you are exhausted and frustrated with your baby. Um, and I'll speak openly and honestly about that because it, it's it's a yucky feeling to feel as their mother, but you you want it to stop and you want to break and it just doesn't. And every night you go to bed and you know the next day you have to do it all over again and you wonder how. And you're going to appointments trying to advocate. And and I'm very much a person that needs solutions to problems. So you give me a problem like colic, which isn't even a diagnosis. It's just a term used to say we have no freaking idea what this is. Um, And you're spending thousands on appointments and natural therapies and trying everything and getting in the car and going to these appointments, you're driving with tears running down your face because your baby's screaming in the back of the car like they're about to die and stop breathing. You're pulling over on highways to get them out. Like it is just horrendous. And what it does to your relationship is a whole other ball game. We are quite isolated from friends and family in that we moved down south and the majority of our support network is in Sydney. So that sort of after work drop in from parents to help clean or cook or something just wasn't readily available even though people did their best obviously that was really isolating and I started to spiral and I think her colic peaked at around 11 sort of 10 11 weeks and it went from crying maybe four or five hours a day to from the moment she woke up at 7 a.m until she went to sleep at about 7 8 at night So my partner was working. I'd be at home all day dealing with this. And I was so, so exhausted that I actually didn't know how I could do it anymore. And I was sitting in bed holding her. She was screaming in my arms and tears were just running down my face. And my mother-in-law called me and I answered it because I was desperate for help and she could hear, you know, River, she could hear me crying and we got off the phone because we couldn't really talk because River was screaming so much and I I sent her a text message and said, I don't want to do this anymore. I hate my life, Um, which is really, really hard to admit because you spent three years trying to get a baby here and then you hate your life like anyone that thinks I'm complaining imagine how I feel 
you know, do you think that feels good for me? Absolutely not. Like that is not what I pictured my newborn experience to be like. And um, I had thoughts that night that were not, um, I wouldn't say suicidal in that I wanted to end my own life, but I had thoughts about I don't want to wake up tomorrow because I don't want to do this. So trying to separate that in that, you know, the GP asked me, did you have a plan? No, it wasn't at that point, but it was, I can't wake up and do this another day on my own. Like this is too much. And my mother-in-law just knew that I needed help. And she booked a flight that same day and came down from Brisbane and saved us um in that she just walked in that door had no issues taking river even if she was screaming like this woman is built of like you know superpower stuff she's incredible um and she was able to facilitate you know a space for us where we could come back together as partners because colic will break a relationship I've read that from many people and it it was nearly our experience um and she took me to the gp she said you need help you know like when you're in it you are not calling the gp saying i need an appointment you are trying to keep your baby alive and you were trying to figure out how to survive um so she took me to the gp the gp said we need to reset your system it's a bit like a computer like you need a restart because you're on overload right now because i wasn't sleeping either like my anxiety at night would keep me awake even when river was sleeping so no sleep either and she said we're going to give you some valium and i don't hand this out lightly like the gp was really really strong on that point she said i i really do not hand this out lightly but you need this and she said your mother-in-law needs to do night shifts for a few nights you need to reset and get some sleep and then we'll talk about support from there and so she did she did night shift I got a couple of nights good sleep it is incredible what one night of sleep can do for your brain you feel back in your body like you can actually function as a person again but that that was my rock bottom that not wanting to wake up the next day I have never even felt that even after Harper so that was really scary for me Um, I had nothing left to give so that's when I knew I needed help and I have a whatsapp group with my closest girlfriends and we all sort of share our day-to-day experiences what we need um, just hold each other up and I hadn't really shared a lot of what was going on in there because I'm so conscious everyone has so much going on but I did for the first time, I wrote a message in there and I said, guys, I just want to let you know, like I'm broken. Um, This has broken me. My mother-in-law's here. And like they always do, they just come running with with love and support and sent food and massages and visits and just held me through all of that as well with so much love. Um, so, yeah, that, that was the first time I'd say in three years that I actually verbally came out and said, I'm not coping, I need help, which is a big thing for me to do because I pride myself on being able to get myself out of the mud, you know. Um, yeah, so that was my rock bottom. It was a very distinct sitting in bed in a dark room with River screaming, thinking, how do I not wake up tomorrow? Yeah, and, and just thank goodness people came to my rescue because I don't actually know what would have happened in those following days. 
And I mean, there's a few things I want to address. Sorry, my voice is broken now because I've had tears. (laughs) Sorry. Um, Your mother-in-law, wow, just Mm. to hear it, pick up on it and act on it. Yeah. As you said before, where would we be without that? Yeah. And, And she said, and she keeps saying, you didn't say it, but I knew you needed help. You know, you didn't directly say, I need you to come here. She said, but I could read between the lines. And I think that's where people need to be reading is between the lines and I'm not taking away from the support I've received from other family you know my mum's been incredible but I think my partner's mum has been through a lot in the last few years as well you know her own losses etc she's an incredibly strong resilient person she was able to come in and support both of us and Craig needed support as well you know men suffer through this very differently but they do And my family would not have been able to sort of hold space for him like his own mother would. So she could offer that to both of us, which is what we really needed Um, because, you know, men shut down and close off. But he he listens to his mum. She's a strong woman. Um, So for her to be able to come and sort of pick up the pieces for both of us, if, if it was someone else, I think Craig still would have felt somewhat unsupported in the sense he needed his mum yeah yeah and we do we do need our mums during this yeah. time we need that mother yeah. figure yeah um, and what you said as well about a reboot I think is mm. so important because what a difference that makes it makes me glad that your GP was able to say you know, reboot your system someone else has to do night shift literally it's putting a breaker in your circuit system because your system yeah. is just in overload and we need to just mm-hmm. go back to basics. Once that's mm-hmm. dealt with, then we can talk therapy. Then we can talk debriefing or whatever it is we need to go through. But for that point in time, when you're in that state of distress, you know, we need to treat our body essentially before we can go back and help our minds. Oh, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And she was really strong on that point. And I really am very happy with how my GP has supported. It's a very new GP for me only since we've moved down. Obviously, I needed to change. But she was very firm in her point of you need sleep. And like I said, you know, people used to say to me before Ripper was born, oh, enjoy your sleep, you know, you'll net your blah, 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 the sleep deprivation. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I've lost a baby and I didn't sleep. Like I'll survive. But truly when you're navigating weeks and weeks, months and months of not sleeping and then a screaming baby all day, it's like your body is not designed to cope with that level no. of stress and anxiety and not have anything filling it up overnight by way of rest Mm. so you become someone that you are not I don't know what word to use it is not you you leave your body because you are literally not functioning and that's a huge weight to carry in that they only want you like that that's fine I I understand that babies are used to being in utero and they want their mums but you physically and emotionally and mentally need a break at some point. And I couldn't even put River on the floor for a little bit of playtime. She would just scream. So I've developed biceps over the last three months from holding her truly. Like I have the most toned arms now. It's ridiculous (laughs) because I would just have to hold her constantly. And it's amazing what you learn to do with one hand, like going to the toilet, holding her, um you know trying to prep a meal like just crazy stuff and yeah it's very intense I think the pressure of knowing they only want you Mm. is 
even bigger than the fact that you're holding them because you know you can't put them down and it's suffocating. It is really suffocating because you don't know when you're going to get a physical break. It's a lot. There's a lot going on (laughs) in the brain. Yeah, and what you said as well, that intrusive thought of I hate my life, I relate so much to that. Obviously, we had very, very different experiences, but I had those thoughts and I was very distressed by those thoughts. And I I had said out loud and it took everything for me to just say it out loud that life was so much easier before and life would be so much easier if my son weren't here. And to say that as a mum, like the that that hate that you then have for yourself, I would latch onto that and, okay, I'm a bad mother, he deserves better than me anyway, and you go down that spiral. Yeah, I used to say to River, you deserve better than me because yeah. I, I was having those thoughts or I was frustrated with her and I think it's about remembering you are not your thoughts, right? No. Like your thoughts are circumstantial at the time. They don't define who you are and if I hadn't shared online that we were having a rough time and I just posted cute photos of her in outfits all the time I wouldn't have received people reaching out to me that helped me normalize what I was feeling so I was thinking I don't deserve River like I am a terrible mother for not coping and feeling this way but then when I would post we were having a hard time, I would get messages from friends that tried to conceive for three years through IVF who said, I hated the newborn phase. I hated the first three months. I would stand at a wall and think about how hard I had to hit my head to pass out and make it go away. And it is so uncomfortable admitting those feelings, but the amount of messages I got from people saying, I spent this long trying to have my baby or I lost this many babies before having my baby and I absolutely hated the newborn experience, made me feel so much less alone in those moments and made me be slightly easier on myself in that I wasn't the only person in the world to feel that way and perhaps in its own very weird way was normal and it's not for everyone you know I think because a lot of lost mums I'd spoken to that had babies before River were like oh I, I it's just the best you know nothing compares to losing the baby I've loved my newborn phase but they had again in inverted commas easy babies non-colic babies that were a joy that were just happy and would sleep and grizzle a bit if they were hungry problem solved when you feed them um so I think I had that level of expectation that that's what it was going to be like and when it wasn't not only am I hating myself for hating it hating my life at the time because it was relentless And I felt so alone, even though I wasn't, I had support. I felt so alone. I hated that I felt robbed. I was like, why does this have to be hard as well? Like, we've been through all of this to get here. This is so unfair. Why does River have to have colic? Like, I've I've almost had to grieve the newborn experience that we had pictured for ourselves as well and that's valid yeah and and it's taken a bit of work but I've had that moment and now I'm like okay she's better now we have a lifetime of good times ahead let's move forward let's not sit in the what was let's be thankful we're out of it 
um, let's work on rebuilding because the damage is done. Like I very much feel we're carrying trauma and potential PTSD from this for a long time, which I have read from many other mothers is the case after colic for them as well. So it's not like rivers sunshine now and now I'm fine. Like the damage has definitely been done. Um, but we work on rebuilding and I don't want to sit in the the negativity. I want to now enjoy my baby because that's what I've wanted for so long and I can now. But we're still cleaning up um, a lot of the last few months and years in terms of what's been left behind to my system. Yeah. And that takes time, you know. As you said, things might be okay. Things might be good. But we still have to heal what has happened. Yeah, it's it's the survival mode again because yeah. when she starts to cry, my body freezes. I'm like, no, <laughs> no, don't tell me it's coming back. Oh, my God, is she going to start crying for hours? And she doesn't, which does a lot to help settle your, your nervous system a little bit. But, yeah, it's the fear of I can't go back to that because that, that absolutely broke me even hearing other babies cry, like it's it's very uncomfortable now. Yeah, that's, that's understandable. You're still surviving. Yeah. And when you start talking about colic, it's incredible how many people come forward and say, oh, I had a colic baby. It almost broke yeah. me. Yeah. I had a colic baby. I ended up in the psych ward. I had mm-hmm. a colic baby. Um, I got a divorce. Like really intense Um, outcomes and we're not talking about it so we don't realize how common it is like I would be really interested to know the stats around how many mothers that have colic babies develop postnatal depression and anxiety where's the research into this like why as a society are we accepting that colic is a word we use to describe a baby that cries a lot we don't know why but we're just gonna leave it at that the more I look into it the more frustrating it is you know the amount of people that told me oh it's normal colic behavior I rang every sleep hotline like you know Tresillion all of them oh yeah normal colic behavior she'll grow out of it yeah that's not good enough no it's not good enough it's good luck try and survive the first three months hope you make it and see you on the other side like I went to a pediatrician and spent hundreds and she said I know it's really hard but you know you're getting towards the end now like she'll grow out of it no investigation really into the why or resources you know so we put River on the formula which I've shared was a game changer for her um, I was more than happy to continue breastfeeding. Like, it was no issue for me. But if my baby's telling me I'm happier on formula, who am I to question her? So formula fed she is now and she's a different baby. But no medical professional suggested that to me. And I'm sure there's many reasons why they didn't. But again, it was something I had to find out from my friend. So if I didn't have the support of other mothers saying, yeah, I had to exhaust resources to the end of the earth to find answers and this is what helped me. It was really frustrating not getting any solutions or suggestions or answers, just this is normal, good luck. And this is the thing, it might be normal. It might be normal behaviour for a colic baby to scream for X number of hours a day. That Mm. doesn't mean you don't deserve support. Yeah, I think the scary part is I did call one of those places, I won't Mm. mention the name, where you go and have a residential stay and they help and all of that. Even the process to navigate that was not 
easy and so you do a self-referral online and then Mm. they call you and it's a half an hour intake form so you're doing that with a screaming baby in your arms you know trying to have a phone conversation and then it's you need to go and travel to their nurse for a couple of hours somewhere to get evaluated and I think it's not until step three that they potentially offer you the residential stay if they think it's bad enough but then she said oh but we don't really offer that for colic babies because we can't fix colic (laughs) and I was like oh that's good thanks (laughs) needs support like yeah yeah and it was like we'll get that sort of like looked like it was months down the line whereas I needed to just be able to go somewhere the next day and say help and I think knowing where to go like what do I go to emergency like where do I go if I'm having thoughts about not wanting to wake up the next day like where do you go so I'm glad your GP was helpful in that sense because I to go to emergency to be assessed and you can't have your partner there, you can't have your baby there, you can understand why many women don't. Absolutely, particularly being separated from their baby. That's not what women want. Mm. They just want help and a break and support. Yeah. yeah. In terms of the Valium, mm. has that helped? I'm assuming that's like PRN medication you take as needed. Oh, I only got a very small prescription and it was purely for a couple of nights sleep. Like I took one before bed to help me be able to sleep and reset, yeah. which I did. Then we talked about antidepressant medication which I've never been on before but I was like you know I was in such a dark place I was willing to give anything a go and I don't have any issues with medication it was more are there any side effects or bigger impacts which there were so I was prescribed um Zoloft yeah so sertraline for those listening yeah sertraline yes um and I took it for a couple of days and potential side effects or insomnia and I got that so badly that I only had an hour's sleep each night which then was counterproductive in that it made me worse because I couldn't function during the day when what I needed was sleep at night and when River's colic started to ease and the days got really nice and much easier the issue then became sleep anxiety like I would get anxious going to bed knowing that I wasn't going to sleep and be exhausted the next day So I stopped the sertraline straight away because I just could not have gone weeks or months with this insomnia, not knowing how long it would last. They can't tell you. And I was given melatonin instead to try and help me sleep through because the problem was I would wake up and not be able to sleep again. So that's sort of helping, but it's an ongoing challenge. I think I'm so wired and on edge and listening out for river all night that it is really hard to get a restful sleep. But um, I don't feel in a place right now where I need to revisit the antidepressant medication because my understanding is postnatal depression and anxiety can be circumstantial so something's happening in your experience that's magnifying these feelings or there's the real chemical imbalance from the hormones post-birth that really hit women I don't believe that was mine I think mine was very circumstantial in that it was the colic the geographical isolation the challenges Craig and I were having that navigating this situation we were in together and now that has eased I'm 
functioning and coping much, much better. So I love that these medications exist to help people because the brain is so complex. It's much, much bigger than us to fix ourselves in many, many cases and we need this support. Um, There's a really well-known spiritual author, Gabrielle Bernstein. She's very much about manifestation and energy work and healing trauma and she tried for years to have a baby and then had the baby and then developed postnatal depression anxiety and she went on antidepressants and I think it was really big of her to admit that with all of her healing woo-woo spiritual stuff that she schools millions of people on that she even needed medication and support and you do um so if, if that's helping save someone's life or helping them function day to day then thank goodness those exist and I was yeah absolutely willing to give it a go but it just in my situation didn't really work and it has to be right for you and your circumstances as you said I think once your sleep was taken care of or is being nurtured looked after as much as possible for some people that's all they need in addition to more practical support or potentially therapy but sometimes that's all you need and that's okay yeah I think the only thing I would say that in hindsight such a wonderful thing is that I wish I had investigated support by way of medicine earlier so the colic started at three weeks and I waited to sort of week 10 or 11 and I suppose that comes back to the you're not putting yourself first you're trying to keep a baby alive and you're not functioning properly so it took my mother-in-law sort of saying we need to get you to the GP but I wish in hindsight I'd had something to help earlier, but I guess it's because we just didn't know the colic would go on that long or what we were in for. But yeah, I think the earlier would have been better. On that note, you actually experienced insomnia and you were open about taking rest of it. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Which again, in hindsight, like you said, I wish I'd known about it in my pregnancy because I was mm. not sleeping for hours every single night leading up to birth. And then obviously it just compounded when he was here. <laughs> Yeah. But yeah, you know, you think in hindsight, there's wonderful things. We don't know that. No. Rest of it's amazing. So good. <laughs> so good. And like, I'm not a pharmacist, anyone listening. Yeah. <laughs> but like, yeah. for those who, who don't know what rest of it is, it's a antihistamine and it's over the counter and doctors can prescribe it for sleep. So I, I actually took it in both pregnancies for my nausea so yeah so I don't think they know why or understand it completely but it actually really helps your morning sickness so I had really bad morning sickness with Harper and River's pregnancy was even worse so my doctor in Harper's pregnancy said take rest of it with B6 it's a combo that has been proven to help nausea and it did it was incredible but then I continued it through the pregnancy to help me sleep when we got her diagnosis because I wouldn't have functioned or slept those eight weeks or after um so I'm a big fan of rest of it to help you sleep and then I took it for River's entire pregnancy every night half a tablet and I there were times where I didn't and I would wake up the next day and the nausea would be so bad again once it left my system so I don't know whether I sort of developed a bit of um, resistance tolerance. to it towards yeah. the end yeah tolerance that's the word towards the end my insomnia in her pregnancy was terrible 
but I didn't want to up my dose because then you get that drowsy feeling the next day. So it's sort of a catch-22, you know, what's the lesser of two evils, being a bit tired or walking around like you've been hit by a truck all day. Oh, yes. But it is really good. It's definitely been a game-changer and a lifesaver for many people in their pregnancy and with insomnia. So was it recommended that you take it after birth as well? No, no one has mentioned rest of it, not my GP, anyone, and I haven't wanted to take it just because I also have this fear that I won't wake up and hear River when she needs me because it does knock you out quite a bit. So, Mm. you know, that's the mothering in me. We put others first. Um, So if I have to be tired, it is what it is. Um, Yeah, definitely not ruling that out. But, yeah, it's just I haven't tried it yet because I haven't wanted to sleep through her crying or something, you know. And this is just me wanting to be curious. Did you find the Valium stronger than the rest of it? Um, No, I didn't, which is weird. Yeah, I... What I liked about the Valium, because obviously the Valium is not a sleeping pill as such, but it's such a relaxant that you can actually get some sleep. What I found different with the Valium was I didn't feel different the next day. Like I felt well rested, but I didn't feel drowsy or tired. And that's obviously the risk with the rest of it. I just think Valium works differently, obviously, and does something different to your system than being a specific sleep aid. Yeah. Sorry, I had to be curious because I've never taken Valium. Um, I was actually prescribed, I know we're going off topic, but I was prescribed an antipsychotic. But yeah, they recommended it in the MBU because compared to something like Valium, you can still breast breastfeed mm, yeah that's right so with the valium I couldn't breastfeed for a couple of days yeah. um so I was pumping and that's the other thing I had to get up a couple of times during the night and pump because my boobs were exploding but anyway that's when we discovered you know River was so much happier on this formula so yeah. I hadn't had the time to pump what I needed before taking the valium to cover her those couple of days and Um, I'd been told about this colic formula that had been designed to be really gentle on the stomach and almost like instantaneously within a day she was a different baby and so she was on it for three days because I was meant to get three nights of sleep and we all just looked at each other and went okay she's really happy isn't that the goal isn't that the end goal that your baby's happy and they're not screaming in agonizing pain and I'd exhausted all avenues at that point. We'd looked at allergies. I'd tried cutting things out of my food. We were, you know, lactation consultants, tongue ties. People message me about tongue ties all the time. Yes, I got tongue ties looked at six times and no one could give me answers. And my baby gave me an answer. She said, I'm happier on this. And we all listened and she has continued to thrive on this formula. So thank you, Valium, you know, (laughs) for not being breastfeeding friendly. That ultimately led to us discovering that she liked this formula. It agreed with her tummy more. She's happier. and, And that was a real game changer for us. Yeah. But Please, anyone listening, speak to your pharmacist or your GP. Please. Don't <laughs> no, don't take my <laughs> advice. Yeah. I think it was all timing as well. Like they say at 12 weeks, they sort of grow out of it. I know that isn't the case for everyone. And my heart really goes out to people that have it last for longer than 12 weeks. Um, but it was all probably circumstantial around the timing and the formula, etc. Anyway, I'm not even going to analyse it as long as yeah. we're out of it. That's all, yeah. <laughs> all I care about. <laughs> It's honestly all I care about. Yeah, I just want her to be happy. Of course, and I think you're doing a very good job of that. I mean, anyone couldn't doubt that you love your little girl, both of your little girls, and they're very lucky to have you. Thank you. So I hope you hear that. I hope you hear that enough, whether you say it to yourself. (laughs) 
No, I do now. I think, um, like I said, it's about separating your thoughts from who you are as a person and where your heart is. And there was never a moment I didn't love River or didn't want her here or wasn't extremely grateful for the fact I had a baby. I can look back now and go, that was one of the darkest times of my life and I wasn't functioning and any thoughts or actions or behaviours that were a consequence of that do not define me as a person or a mother. And even in the thick of that, every night up at 2, 3 a.m. Googling, trying to find answers and driving her to appointments and relentlessly researching, that was my love for her. So anyone listening that has had dark yucky thoughts or hated their life at the time or not loving the newborn stage, not loving the infant, toddler, teenager, adult stage, whatever it is that doesn't define you as a person. You don't have to love hell on earth. <laughs> That's my parting, my parting words. No one should be expected to love a situation that is, is so hard and dark and traumatic just because you're a mother it comes back to this whole you know the criticism about not complaining as humans we are so uncomfortable with things being able to coexist at once so Mm -hmm. we believe that if you love your baby and you're grateful to have them then you should be happy no matter what Mm -hmm. we are not comfortable with you can love your baby and be so grateful that they're here but also not love living hell. Like mm-hmm. it's a huge ask of a mother to say you should love an experience that is horrendous mm-hmm. just because you have a baby. You know, that is a huge expectation to put on someone. And that's why I'm sharing because we need to get comfortable with things can exist at the same time. It doesn't have to be one or the other because you have thoughts about hating your life does not mean that you don't love your baby. No. You don't have to be grateful that your baby screams eight hours a day. Like, why would we ask that of somebody? (laughs) It's interesting, isn't it? Like, we're allowed to not like other life experiences that we all agree are hard, but when it comes to being a mum and having a baby, we're just meant Mm -hmm. to suck up everything no matter what. I genuinely cannot picture anyone who goes to their nine-to-five job and smiles the whole time because they love Mm. it the whole time. But heaven forbid a mother says oh you know I love my baby but I don't love this season or this point in time we're crucified for it yeah yeah it's interesting isn't it why do we do that why do we have such a high expectation on mums to just suck it up what do you wish others knew either about grief or PNDA what do you wish Mm. others would take away from listening to your story today um what I wish people knew about baby loss and grief Sometimes I question whether it's something we're meant to survive. You know, like it is so, so big. I'm not actually sure we're meant to survive it. You know, I believe we're souls on earth in a human body, right? Like we're having this experience and when your baby dies, you lose a part of your soul with them So then you're like this soul on earth that's not whole anymore, trying to figure out how to survive that in a human body that's enduring so much pain that it wasn't really designed to carry. It's enormous. And, you know, I'm almost two years on, so Harper's birthday's coming up, and I'm starting to become aware that perhaps my grief is becoming exhausting 
for others um, or, you know, people move forward and want you to join that journey moving forward and you do to a degree but you're forever changed and I think that's really hard for people to understand that aren't living it they very much feel on the journey with you but they don't live it every day so they get reprieved from it whereas you don't it's a lifelong shifting experience and you never stay the person that you were before it so there's a lot of casualties on the journey um people that just can't hold space anymore or they're too tired compassion fatigue or they they grieve the person you were so your relationship survived based on an energetic agreement of who you were before that and then it can't survive when you're a new person so it's very complex but that's what I wish people knew that it is a lifelong suffering and it gets easier to carry but it doesn't go away Um, If I then think about postnatal depression, anxiety and colic, someone wrote to me once on Instagram and said, I was really concerned when you said that this experience was as bad as losing Harper or something. I can't actually remember what I must have said. And I stand by that. That's my experience in that it actually felt as bad as losing Harper, but in a really different way, like the impact it had on me as a person and the difference is um, they're very different but one of the key differences is when you lose a baby and you're in grief you have moments where you can have a break so you start to go maybe five minutes not thinking about the fact you've just lost a baby to 10 minutes to an hour to a day to a week you know it grows where you get that reprieve Whereas when you're in postnatal depression, anxiety or dealing with colic or a reflux baby, there's no break. Like you you still have to keep this little human alive and hear them screaming and hold them and be there to keep them as the number one priority. So I think that was the thing that was really hard was you just, as much as you needed a break, you just there wasn't one. So that it was the relentlessness of the colic and the postnatal depression and anxiety as opposed to in grief where you can start to find glimmers of light and and get a bit of a break from your grief. Like I went back to work three weeks after Harper was born, which is just crazy now I think about it, but that was me seeking a break, seeking to normalise a part of my life again, whereas with River it was going to bed every night going, oh, my God, I have to do that all over again tomorrow. Like how will I survive that? And I think with the postnatal depression and anxiety and the colic, what do I wish people knew about that? It's you might not be able to come and take the baby, but there's a lot of other things you can do to help. You know, it's cleaning food, those little things, just making sure someone's got a meal. Like people hate feeling helpless. I guarantee there's things you can do to support a mother navigating that. Because a lot of people used to say to me, oh, do you want me to come and look after her while you have a nap? And that's just not going to happen. Like I couldn't give her to anyone. I couldn't nap because I was too stressed. I'd just lay in bed going, she's going to start screaming any minute and waiting for it. So just think about, I think, the other things that we can't do while we're holding a baby and have one attached to us all the time or ask, that would be helpful. So my mum would get on a train for three hours each way because she doesn't drive. She lives worlds away from us. 
get on a train at 7am, get to us at 11, come and clean my house and then go home for three hours, you know, and that's exhausting for her, but that helped so much to take that weight off. Um, so there, yeah, there, there's a lot you can do to support someone still that might not be looking after the baby, but don't sort of give up. There's many more things you can do. And I think that that's a really important thing to end on because it's not just about supporting the baby, it's supporting mum more than anything. And I love what you say, that it's bigger than me. You know, if it's bigger yeah. than you, that's okay. You can get help. It doesn't matter if yeah. someone else might be going through something bigger and they're coping. If you're not coping, mm. that's okay. Go get that help. Absolutely. I think as humans, we really need connection. And by talking about things, like we feel closer to people rather than internalising. It's really heavy, heavy stuff. It's heavy topics. Um, that are really uncomfortable for a lot of people but I'm so passionate about talking about them because if I hadn't I don't know where I would be I wouldn't have a lot of the people in my life that I have now I wouldn't have felt less alone yeah let's talk more about the ugly stuff yeah and the good stuff of course there is beautiful stuff there is beauty, you know, I post River smiling all the time. Like now she's sunshine in my day. Um, she is honestly, now she's happier, the most beautiful soul. And it breaks my heart that she was in so much discomfort or pain or, or struggling so much, you know, that she would cry like that. But um, there is so much happiness as well. And, and we revel in that, but that's easy to talk about, isn't it? It's the hard yeah. stuff that's not so yeah. easy so I think that's why I shine a bit more of a light on that yeah and you do a great job of that on your social media space you have created such a beautiful community around such a as you say yucky topics and conversations and the world I think is lucky to have you to have Harper and to have River and your stories yeah. so thank you for coming on and sharing so openly thank you that's so beautiful and you're so welcome I, I hope someone out there has taken something from this and yeah just sending anyone navigating anything to do with this experience whether it's loss trying to conceive postnatal depression anxiety colic any of it so much love you are really doing your best thank you to all our listeners for holding space for today's story if you like this episode, please leave a review and rating to help me bring you more amazing content. Join the conversation and be featured on the podcast by sharing your story through my website, perinatalstoriesaustralia.com. If these stories are a bit too much to listen to or to read right now, then come back another time. Protecting your mental health is the number one priority. As always, this podcast and its associated blog and social media accounts is not a substitute for therapy or for getting help. No medical advice is provided, only lived experiences. If any of this does resonate though, please reach out to a medical professional. See you next time.